Namaste, motherfuckers. And welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 64. Eric Sugg. Eric Sugg I know from uh, his days in uh, Drag Strip Syndicate. But he also has a new band uh, called Demon Eye, which I got to see right after doing this podcast uh, a few weeks ago. They played with Valiant Thor at... What is that place called? Strange Matter. That's right. I was going to call it Nancy Reagan or, you know, you're very Richmond if you can't keep straight how many different names the same club has had, right? Uh, Anyway, we had a cool talk. Um, I think I got a little name droppy in it or something. Maybe he did. Maybe we both did. I don't know. But we're slightly nerdy about the whole rock criticism and fanboydom of... All that shit, the heroes, the records, the record labels, all that. But um, it was great talking to him. I enjoyed um, enjoyed a lot. It's funny. It, towards the end, he started giving me the uh, cut, you know, fingers across the throat thing. So I wrapped it up. And then we went downstairs and talked for another half an hour or something. So uh, unfortunately, you guys didn't get to hear that part. That was a special super secret tantric conversation. Um, yeah, so I'm a little off schedule, but I, I'm close to posting this a week after the last one uh i again yeah i've been traveling a lot been pretty busy but um hey this is important to me gotta keep gotta keep doing it gotta keep the balance i hope it's important to some of you out there uh i always like to hear about that you know every now and then you could let me know by going on you know the the page and saying hey Curtis you know I really dig oh my you know my name's Curtis Payne just in case you didn't know that you, you know you can say I enjoyed this or I didn't enjoy this or whatever you can go to the donation thing and make a little donation you know ten dollars twenty dollars something like that I always put this on the page and I just remind you again you can just follow this on iTunes and every time I post a podcast it'll just appear in your podcasting on your smartphone I'm assuming most of you have smartphones. If you're smart, you have a smartphone. If you don't, you can just keep going to the website. I think there are other podcast applications that I don't know about, but that you can... But whatever, iTunes is the gold standard anyway. So they're up there. I had a little problem with the feed last week because um, all the various things I use keep updating all that stuff. Anyway, whatever. Fuck all that boring shit. Um, I really haven't got a lot for you guys today. Let's just get into Eric. It's a great conversation. And, uh, yeah, that'll pass. Devote a lot of time and energy to right. it. Okay, so we're, we're now... Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the idea of living those places, like we're talking about living in Joshua Tree. Yeah. You, you, the pro, it's not the cost of living there. It's like, how do you continue... Yeah, exactly. Once you've exactly. gone out there. Definitely. Right. Definitely. You know, sell peyote or... I know, I know. It's like you could work in it. You know, it's like have you, you've been out there before. I've passed through. I went to um, Joshua Tree, like saw the national park. Yeah. You know, just yeah. kind of cruised through on the way to L.A., you know, mm-hmm. just to lay eyes on it. Kind of a pilgrimage. It's a sorts, kooky little you know? town. You know, it's like a little bit redneck and a little bit hippie, you know, and it's got like all the little cafes and thrift stores and stuff like that. And it's know, like but... a retirement area too right? yeah i guess like if you kind of get springs is palm of, springs definitely is, is joshua that, tree right? i think it's probably a little bit too gritty for people who want to retire in style but uh right yeah definitely like you know the palm springs area is like um that's a really pretty little town too actually yeah i, I don't i guess i passed through there like we 
take what is it 40 that goes 42 yeah that goes yeah. across or 62 the is like the main highway that goes through joshua tree and but like if you're the, coming the from, interstate you're talking about yeah if you're coming from it is East 40 Coast the because Coast, that goes through barstow in that area right yeah right and they and route 66 in and out come, go, yeah, comes in God, and out of that man. we drove through this little town called victorville which is like um way down in the south at the start of the Mojave Desert as you're going up into like Joshua Tree mm-hmm. and all that. That was the most depressed little town I've ever seen. It's There's like, a lot of just yeah. like telephone poles in a trailer. Mm-hmm. Like you just see from the side of the road a cluster of trailers and some telephone poles yeah. out there. And then maybe a... It's totally the classic like road movie oh, like landscape yeah. of like nothing. <laughs> it's it's pretty weird. Like we... I, I drove across the country to go live out there in yeah. 2004, I think. Yeah. I had no idea really of the terrain or how close or far apart things are. And, right. And we passed through Vegas like on a Friday thinking, oh, we'll just come through Vegas and, and get a hotel room for the night. Yeah. Because they're cheap. You know, everything's cheap except the gambling. Right. You can't just show up in Vegas on a Friday night and get a hotel room. Oh, no. no. You know? It's like, <laughs> you got to like go out in the middle of nowhere. Right. right. Unless you book way in advance. In, in advance, right. Yeah. So we're like, I, we went to the Double Down for a little while. And then oh, we're yeah. Like, <laughs> then we're like, okay, well, we'll just cruise out of Vegas for a little ways and we'll find a hotel. Right. It's just right. desert. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> we drove all the way to Barstow before we found a place to stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the middle of the night. It's the middle of nowhere, literally out there. Plus, there's no gas stations yep, either. Yeah, exactly. Between, so. I can remember that when that long drag strip tour, and we were like out there in that part of the country. I can remember, I could totally see how David Lynch like got like all that eerie vibe of driving out in those areas. Mm-hmm. I remember like the only sign or any sign of humanity that we saw at one point was a prison. Uh-huh. And there were like all these signs throughout the highway for like about 30 miles that said, "Do not pick up hitchhikers. They could be escaped convicts." You know, it's like <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That whole cool. um, it's weird that the desert like it's got this combination of a scary vibe and a spiritual. Yeah, vibe, yeah, totally, you know? totally. Yeah, it's like peaceful, but like your mind is still very kind of active out there. Yeah, too. it's like it's nothing some, like it. For lack of a better word, some kind of primal happening. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's um. When you're out there and it's you see so much and it's wild nature, but at the same time it's like um, it, it's so silent. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what really kind of took me aback. It's like you're just seeing like miles and miles of, of just nothingness and just beautiful things, but then mm-hmm. like you can hear your own heartbeat. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, that does kind of make it sort of primal. There's just yeah. some lizards and some cactuses. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but things still living there. It's just it's a lot less noise, basically, yeah. a lot less life noise. Definitely. You know, just some very specific currents going on, and absolutely not much else. Absolutely. But then there's like, I went, and I, and I've never, especially at this time period, I'm a little more inclined to talk about like vortexes and right. ley lines <laughs> now, but then not at all. Like yeah, there was yeah, a spiritual here. bone in my body when I went out there. Yeah. And I went through Sedona, Arizona, just on a whim because my friend that was riding with me, whose name is also Eric, by the way. Oh, cool. um, He had a friend down there, and he said they put us up for the night. So we got off the highway and went down to Sedona, and it was a completely different universe. Have you ever been there? I've not been to Sedona, no. I've heard it's beautiful. A lot. Of, my parents actually have all people went there and they loved it. But I've, everyone I've known who's gotten to check it out said it's just incredible little. So we're like Joshua Tree is sand. And like and brown and gray and like kind of, it's like it's like Venus or Saturn or something. And then um, Sedona is Mars, and yeah. everything is red and, and, yes, and gold yeah. and purple and blue. It's really wild. And 
I went all of these places there, and I was like, this does feel different. Yeah, like there's whether it's magnetic fields of the Earth, like you're closer to maybe you're a few layers down or something. Right. You can really feel something else there. It's just a different yeah, home. You know, there's a reason why people live in those parts of the world, get kind of mm-hmm. new agey and start to think about things on those lines. You yeah. Because it's, you know, it does affect you, you know. I think anyone feels affected by it. And not everyone will like it. I've noticed that some people, when they go out the desert, they have sort of like agoraphobic reactions and that kind of thing. It's and too big. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Too empty. They need some boxes exactly. to put around themselves. Too, too much of an urban <laughs> night to, to get into it, I guess. So, so Demon Eye is playing tonight. Right. That's and, right. And, That's and, right. And, and we're talking tonight, but I'm gonna post this probably sometime in the next couple of That's weeks. Cool. But is this thing close enough? I think yeah. <laughs> yeah you're okay. getting it. That's a room mic, so we get. Oh, okay, cool. Good. So we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not like an actual broadcasting mic, which it would matter more <laughs> if it was closer. Plus, if it's low, I can turn it up. If it's oh, too loud, yeah. I can't turn it down. Gotcha. I'll you make know? sure I don't. So you're good. Get up I on think, it. I could give it a little more. Um. Yeah. So this will be my first time checking your band out. I've got. The sense I haven't even like. Have you posted stuff? Do you have stuff online like? Yeah, yeah. Stuff There's or? a Bandcamp page, but um, the guy from our label, uh, God bless the guy, he's an awesome guy. He's not a fan of bands uh, putting all their tunes on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of like being able to stream online, Spotify'd probably be your best bet. Yeah. And then um, you know YouTube, of course. You know we're not the kind of guys that are gonna fight that sort of thing. We actually kind right. of like the exposure we get from it. And, Right. Your, the guy from Soul Cellar Records agrees to reason, you know, just let it. That's the label the, you're on. Soul yeah, Soul Cellar. Cellar. It's based mm-hmm. out of the Netherlands. Yeah, it's, that's cool. He's been an excellent guy to work with. Um, good sense of uh, business and promotion, but also very grassroots and just very supportive and just great. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I hate to think of one day not working with him. I hope that's yeah. not the case. <laughs> so what is it? I mean, all right. It, it always kind of invariably, I feel like when I'm talking to musicians, that I ended up, you know, because I've worked in the industry right. and, and I've been in bands and all that stuff, that it almost seems futile to still try to sell records and yeah. CDs, unless you're selling them like to True. people who really do fetishize having exactly. the yeah. vinyl printing of something. You do a limited printing, like thousand copies or exactly something like that yeah. is that kind of the scene with uh his label or is it it seems to be well uh, it's strange i just noticed that kind of like in the metal and the heavy music world in general people still like to have physical products yeah why i don't know but people just love to have that in their hands you know so that definitely works in the favor of bands like us and uh and bands it, like you are a little on the archaic revival of a certain specific kind of temporal yeah yeah you know yeah. it's really you know you can say metal but you know at the same time it's metal is such a subgenre type thing these days that mm-hmm. i'm not even really sure if that would really truly say what we're all about but yeah we definitely have a, a retro sound there's no getting around that you know we yeah classic metal proto metal whatever kind of terms you want to put out there heavy psych you know hard I f- yeah rock, i feel like metal like... Is, a, is 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 too big of a word anymore exactly exactly you guys seem to me like in that it's a dark, spacious, tube amp kind of yeah. <laughs> rock when blues was starting to be, instead of singing about women, you started singing about Satan. Right. And, <laughs> right? The, yeah, so the blues yeah. were a greater sort of morbid, existential thing instead of straight up about life and money and women and yeah exactly i mean life and money and women of course are all great things that uh, i still take into account but uh, when it comes to like writing music and kind of like keeping it towards the dark side it's just 
I don't know what it is that draws people to that, you know, just as a young guy, like when I first discovered Sabbath and, um, you know, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, even Kiss to a certain mm-hmm. extent, you know, there's just something about it that really triggered a chord in my imagination. And I would imagine that's kind of the same phenomenon that happened with anybody who gets into metal or heavy music, you know, there's yeah. something about just the heavy intensity and the, the darkness of it that just really is kind of seductive you know yeah and it's got a um god i shouldn't say morbid it's not morbid it's like it's this is another word that's been co-opted but uh, like gothic but gothic in the sense of like i don't know there's something in the shadows there's something around the corner there's exactly there's something hidden you know like that you know the whole occult thing has sort of had a revival in the past decade or so and i think that's just because people are excited about what they truly don't can't see and what they truly don't understand you know Mm -hmm. The word occult, I mean, I'm no Latin linguist or anything right. like that, but I think that translates to like kind of hidden mystery or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, was well, so, it Oculus? Like I maybe? Like, yeah, could it be? yeah, like, yeah. And it's like, you know, so there's all these things that, um, and there's just no getting around that the, the imagery is just really exciting for people. You know, you have like all these things that are just interesting to look at and these ritualistic things that just have this beautiful symmetry to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, when you combine that to like a certain sort of sound, it just really kind of excites people. Yeah, and, yeah. and some of the sound is a very like actually is known to have a psychological impact. Absolutely. Like that Devil's Fifth and the um, and what is that like? I don't know what it's called, but like I know what you're talking harmonic about. Harmonic or whatever that the it's the opening of the first Black Sabbath song, Black Sabbath. Yeah, you know, the Sabbath that did interval. that, and actually Hendrix, Purple Haze, the first chords to Purple Haze are from the B flat into the the E like that. Right, so that kind of, interval yeah. is known, like even in classical music, was known to incite To be the devil's people. calling card. Right. You know? <laughs> that the kind Berlioz of thing. did the symphony fantastique and it drove people a little bonkers when he performed it. The... Yeah, and it's like, you know, you think about the Stravinsky, the Rites of Spring, mm-hmm. and he did such an amazing job taking dissonant music, but it was still well-crafted and like well thought out you know just like you you had with beethoven guys like Mm -hmm. that but he specifically crafted his music and his notes to hit these ranges that just freaked people Mm -hmm. out you know people just like ran from his shows when they first heard that orchestra like that you know and that's kind of like just carried on throughout the years you know whether it's um black sabbath or hendrix or the swans you know Uh like a swans are a good example of a band who um does a good job of like making really well-crafted, dark, intense, scary music, but it's not noise. You know, right. it's like there's a lot of just precision that goes into their songwriting. They're a yeah. band that there's a good example of somebody yeah. that I've heard people talk about a lot. I actually have one of their records down there, right? But I, I never really listened to them, never really got into them, and people always invoke them. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, oh my God, the Swans are coming, or Oh my God, that's Vinny from the Swans and Unsane. Or they're kind of, yeah. in my experience, you know, just remembering like when I first gave them a, a listen in the whenever that was, the early '90s or mid '90s, they were a hard band to know where to start from. Yeah, because like they had a little bit of like that 120 minutes um, fame in like the the right. '80s with a Lovell Terrace Apart cover they did. Yeah, which that was like kind of acoustic and melodic with pretty singing, you yeah. know. But then like. If you picked up like that world of skin collection that was going on, you know, Jesus Christ, that was right. really intense, scary music that sounded nothing like that. It's <laughs> interesting, like the like, part of what like draws me to that, like you know, the Sabbath kind of thing, and like what you guys do, and like graveyard or right. something like that. There's it when that stuff came out, and maybe when I was a kid, it had it was outside of the norm of like 
music that I heard that was major scale kind of yeah. you know, happy. <laughs> and then and there's this hint of something I think that's like scary and, and adult and whatever on the other side of it. And it was sort of scary to me. Now yeah. it's like with the things that are really scary in the world, it's this very nostalgic, comfortable place to yes. you to go like it's like a sort of a known um, mythological sort of dark yes, you know yeah. it's like it literally is like what the blues is is like the comedy and tragedy thing it's like right, you right. know the catharsis of of darkness and sadness instead of the you know um the attack of it or the uh, um you know, you're not being hurt by it you're actually getting to like yeah you know, kind of uh, bleed the get the venom out or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, what, but... what draws people to music in general, whether it's something just like positive and melodic or, um, you know, negative or, you know, kind of dark sound. It's just something that it evokes an emotion, you mm -hmm. know? And, um, it, I don't know, you know, it just, there's no rhyme or reason to who's going to respond to what, you know, like some people love to hear nothing, but that sounds like the Beatles their right. entire time. Although in my experience, like, you know, what does so that mean to say something sounds like the Beatles? I mean, they were so varied. Yeah, well, that's like, another does it thing. Sound it's... like them in the early six, the mid sixties. Yeah, they were the first thing that came to my mind because I was thinking yeah. of like just the best example of like you know positive, powerful sounding pop right. music. But you know, the Beatles just like um, you know they had some darkness to them as well. Yeah. You know they um, if you listen to like stuff on Abbey Road like I Want You or Because yeah. you know those guys could definitely take things into some. Pretty intense territory. Or on the white album, like your blues. Or yeah, oh yeah. The definitely. eagle, the eagle picks my eye. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, feel I love so the beat. Suicidal. Yeah. I even hate my rock and roll. You, you know, you get online these days, and if you see an article about the uh, Beatles, there's all kinds of contrary and stuff out there. Where I think people are kind of sick of hearing about them, sick of like having them as like the regular influence that's always mentioned with bands. And then there's other people who fight the. They're like contrarians to the contrarians of like. Yeah. You know, it's never uncool to say you like the Beatles and you know it's kind of exhausting to think about them that it grand is. scheme of it but... it's like I'd love to talk about this more um there's so much else to talk about but exactly like the, the, you know I will say that like when it comes you know I was guilty of being a rock critic at some point and and really thought there was a a point to creating a canon right right of, of this stuff and it's like you know that's it's fun it really is fun to talk about music and it is fun to to talk about things that maybe somebody who made music didn't realize they were putting out there and right. didn't intend and like oh, it's great to to do that like yeah. to get into that whole um that whole thing but it also can really fuck you up and like r limit it for you, you know? yeah you don't want to think too much about it yeah you know you could think yourself into disliking anything if you let it <laughs> yeah you guess you got to take it back at some point and say hey i can engage in that stuff but i also am going to reserve all of this music that i like and there's no such thing as a guilty yeah. pleasure i like it if you exactly don't, you know we don't have to agree about that and beatles yeah. is one of those things for me i can understand why people make the arguments yeah, they do yeah, about them, but fuck them because I, I love that shit. Same here, same here. I'm know. not a, I could never be a Beatles hater, and I'll always defend their their influence and impact for sure. So the the other element of and I, I think you guys I think you feel you made me this great like playlist on Spotify. Right, right, of, yeah. Of Dark Riffin was one of them. And, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. It was Dark actually Riffin. on during a podcast that we did downstairs where I had a dinner and then okay, it was, it was playing on the Spotify thing and I had a bunch of people sitting around a table talking about okay. Cool. whatnot um the other thing about that 70s stuff for me uh -huh. is it's nostalgic like i remember being a kid and seeing my uncles going around looking like 
you know, with the d- jeans, like, yeah. velvet, you know, right. denim jacket, you know, long hair, a little facial hair, right. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's it's also a real, like, the whole aesthetic of a, of a 70s rock and verging towards a metal thing is really kind of comforting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, it's, yeah, that's what I like about it, you know, because I, I was born in the 70s, and I just, uh, obviously, they had a very impact on my entire life, you know, like, I... I have fond memories, too, of, like, all the kids in my neighborhood in Portsmouth, Virginia, kind of looking like the ratty-looking kids you'd see in Over yeah. the Edge. <laughs> and, so uh, Portsmouth's where you're from? Yeah, that's where I was born, and most of my family's still there. And it's, it's a very blue-collar town, you know, and... Um, Is it, like, Birmingham? It's, uh, well, I haven't been back there, and I went there for um, a funeral uh, about a year ago and got to kind of just go around and see some of the places I remember, and it's... A lot of Tidewater, Virginia, just seems like it's stuck in time. My father is mm-hmm. always joking that he goes back there and he he calls them the the old Portsmouth dinosaurs. Like you'll see guys his age, like in their you know late fifties, early sixties, that still have like the long hair parted down the middle and still mm-hmm. have like you know the greasy beards and uh, are probably still listening to like if classic rock radio, if that even still exists in, mm-hmm. in that territory anymore. And it's Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's it something, you know, that's just because uh, I, I grew up with that, and that's what I remember seeing and being impacted by as a young guy. Just something about that blue collar, kind of, you know, rugged white dude <laughs> rock and roll right. thing, you know, it's sort of like. Which uh, was something that yeah. I wanted to get as far away from as possible yeah. at one point, like in the 90s, you know, I wanted to be, I didn't want any part of anything that smacked of white trash, redneck, blue collar, right, any right. of that. I was more sophisticated. Yeah, that. yeah exactly. That and, was definitely the period of people trying to uh, forget that part about themselves. You know, I was probably guilty of that as well. I mean, I'd always kind of like, even in the early 90s when people were kind of like, uh, when it was the age of like, the Marlboro man is dead, it's the right. era of the sensitive man. You know, I kind of embraced that. But at the same time, it's like I didn't deny like, you know, hey, I was just this... Guy who came from a blue collar family who listened to Kiss and Led Zeppelin records, and my dad was a, a tasty cake vendor, and oh, uh, yeah. I'll probably never. At the time, I didn't even think I was ever going to go to college. You know, I was just working as a dishwasher, busboy, you know, landscaper, and that kind of stuff. And you know, it's important for me to just remember that that's who I was. You know, even though I was definitely a product of my time as well. Everybody's always going to be a product mm-hmm. of like the era they live in and the environment they live in. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. You also can't limit yourself either. I don't think, you know, I, I wanted to get a little outside of what I knew and just see what was happening, you know, outside my immediate sphere of experience there in small town Virginia, you know. So your dad was a tasty cake vendor. He went That's around right. and, and filled up the racks at the uh, yep. convenience stores and grocery stores. And If there was a 7-Eleven in Virginia, he's uh, very familiar with it, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> And what was um what was it what was it like growing up in Portsmouth at that time? Was it pretty solid kind of uh, middle class? Kinda yeah, country? yeah, you know, like they actually, my dad got a promotion through Tasty Cake and moved the family to Williamsburg, Virginia, which is where I spent most of my childhood and um, where they live now. That was an interesting place to grow up. It's funny, I kind of, you know, I just turned forty the other day and I'm getting a little bit soft Happy about birthday. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it? it's funny because like I go to Williamsburg now and I kind of can see the appeal to like why people enjoy living there as a teenager i fucking hated it yeah. i thought it was just the most nightmarish place i couldn't stand the constant conflict between middle class families and rich families minorities uh the the snotty william and mary kids right. in my mind that's what they were like you know yeah. at the time and just yeah i 
like a lot of other kids that grew up there who were interested in like music and things like that, I always came to Richmond all the time mm-hmm. to go to shows and meet people and get away from stuff that I didn't like there. And you got into music pretty early, playing music pretty early. Yeah, um, a good friend of mine, John Swart, who um, still lives here in Richmond. I know that um, name. Yeah, John was in um, the Jolly Mortals back in the day, actually, mm-hmm. who started in Williamsburg. And he's pretty instrumental. He and a Dave DiDonato, who a lot of Richmonders like and mm-hmm. other folks may know, is the uh, guy who broke the the Guinness World Record for the longest guitar solo. <laughs> oh, he he actually I forgot that he actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Yeah, he those just guys. Contacted me the other day because he wants to be on this, but I'm like, you have to come to town. Like, oh right, no right. To, I'm not, I don't do phoners. We should like, try to get him into Richmond for sure. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. John and Dave really were guys that. Um, they knew that I liked music and uh, knew it was a big part of me. And John actually gave me this old uh, piece of garbage harmony guitar that he had. And he's like, you're going to learn how to play this fucking thing. I don't care what you say. And my father had attempted to get me to play guitar when I was about nine. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a nine-year-old boy, he's trying to, like, you know, contort my fingers. So your dad played guitar? A little bit, yeah. He tried to, like, you know, do that thing where, like, you know, he you know, form fitted my fingers to make uh-huh. chords. And, you know, I was a nine year old kid. I was like, yeah. fuck this. <laughs> so, no, no, no patience yeah. for that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So later on, you know, kind of like late eighties, early nineties, when I met those other guys and, you know, it was the era of like the skate rat punk rock kind of uh, thing that I had embraced. And like a lot of people discover punk rock, you learn that you can play music and not be very good. So that really, it's the awesome yeah. thing about it. Definitely. Yeah. definitely. Like you just can go straight to playing music. You don't have to pass through all the stages of learning it. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what I did. You know, John and I like had this little, you know, prepubescent <laughs> punk band called joyful stress. And then, uh, Dave DiNato was, uh, showing me like that. I could, um, actually learn how to play guitar and that some classic rock stuff that I, I kind of had the Johnny Ramone perspective of like, forget it. I'll never learn how to play like these guys. Right. But then Dave and, you know, other friends kind of showed me that's not too difficult yeah. to learn that stuff. So I almost kind of went back in time to like, you know, the music that I remembered from like being the, in Portsmouth in the seventies, you know, like the, the Led Zeppelin, the Sabbath, the kiss that mm-hmm. playing that music was within my grasp. And that mm-hmm. was a pretty intoxicating feeling. Yeah. Know? learning how to play guitar and actually learn those riffs that I had like mythologized to being outside my scope of experience was, uh, was a really good thing. I was, uh, I was just actually sitting in the other room, uh, trying to watching King Buzzo play honey bucket. Oh yeah. So yeah. I could, God, intense <laughs> song. He's just demonstrates <laughs> how to play. Cause I didn't fuck with drop D at all. Yeah. But like, I, I, all right, whatever. I'll, mess around with it now and that seemed like a great play like that particular riff but he's sitting there showing how to play it and i can't tell what his fucking stubby little he is uh, an amazing musician Just do it by ear i guess but, i don't know yeah. if i talked to you about this and it's funny his name came up because i actually got to interview uh, king buzzo not too long ago and sit down and talk that. to him yeah. yeah he was a really really just funny and intelligent and unique guy to talk to mm-hmm. just like as i you know knew he was probably going to be but He's just, I don't know, sometimes you just see these musicians like him and you think that guy just invented his own style. Yeah. You know, like I saw him play an acoustic show. He was like during the middle of his acoustic tour that he was doing earlier this year. And um, it was just like all those like little tweaked out Melvin's Melvin's rhythms Mm -hmm. were still going on in his acoustic music, you know, and it's uh, just a true unique individual. Yeah. You know, when it gets to, and I'm not, um, you know, I'm a realist. I know that I'll never be someone like that. I'm never going to be one of those guys who's thinking that people stop and go, 
this dude's doing something brand new that's really going to be a game changer mm-hmm. you know and i'm fine with that you know i'm just yeah. kind of playing music with what i know and love you know but it's always incredible and inspirational when you can come across somebody like um like uh buzz osborne mm-hmm. and think this guy is doing something completely of his own and yeah you know and i was talking to him about just like little things about the songwriting process and he said something that really just kind of was simple and funny and he was talking about how like he'll meet guys who always complain about how they can't play guitar and sing at the same time and he says and i'll just tell them well just write a fucking song that you can sing and play yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. and it's like it's, of course you know you know you just kind of do what's within your grasp instead of like trying to like you know just reach for the stars and you could be surprised at like how um how how good it comes out you yeah know? and yeah. you know that's what i was thinking about when you were talking about when you first started playing guitar because i yeah. i started off with a um like it's almost like uh playing um guitar uh what is the the game? Guitar. Oh, uh, yeah, Guitar Hero. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like playing Guitar Hero. I, I suck I, at that, by the way. <laughs> I learned like you know the configuration of the power chord on the E string and the A string, you right. know, and just moving that up and down the neck, which is almost just like pressing those buttons. Yeah. For yeah. me, you know, and I just played those power chords for a long time, and I knew the cowboy chords, and like, right, right, and just varied in between all that stuff, and I didn't have the patience to learn anybody else's songs. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. You know, we had my band had songs that were all pretty much, you know, like the Ramones. It's just a right, bunch of right. different configurations of those bar chords. And, exactly, exactly. And I didn't even really bar them. Like I, I played them like with the two note version, yeah, the power yeah, chord, yeah, or three, you know, yeah. like <laughs> something like that. But um, you know, I've been getting back into playing lately, and part of me is like, you know, there's this vast, you know, there's, you know, you you do have friends like Dave DiDonato or or John that can teach you this stuff and unlock right. unlock <clears throat> the keys for you, and you have to be ready. To have those things unlocked because exactly, people can yeah. show you that shit, and if you're not, if the inquiry is not there, it's like trying to feed you something you don't want to eat. Right. Exactly. Know? It's like going back to like my what I said about my father, you know, when I was nine, trying to teach me a D chord, and you know, I just had right. a brat attack and said I'd never play guitar ever again. So <laughs> like, I know, like, I could go in there and I can take my laptop in there or my phone or whatever, and I can see how to play anything. Right. Somebody has made a YouTube video to show you how to play everything from fucking Freddie King to Ingve Malmsteen, you know, uh, to St. Vincent. Yes. Like yeah. whatever you want, you can figure out how to play it. And and I was sitting in there today um, in Drop D, going, it'd just be fun to learn Honey Bucket. I'd probably just learn it by ear if I really wanted to. Right. But then I started going, wait a minute, I really should just like try and write my own shit. Yeah. While, if yeah, I'm taking you know. this time, so there's a balance between learning those things so that they're tools for you. And then writing your own stuff. And I feel like you have to do a little bit yeah. of both. You know, you know it's like any, musicians these days, especially guitar players, have a lot of resources like you're talking about, like a YouTube clip to show you how to do stuff. But it's just like being an athlete. You know, you got to have that mind-to-body coordination. Like, you know, you could see, um, you know, a famous Olympian, you know, win at whatever event they're doing. But just because you can visualize his body doing what it's doing and, you know, achieving what it's achieving doesn't mean you're going right. to, you know. exactly. You know, it's like um, Larry, the guy who plays guitar in Demon Eye, a phenomenal guitar player. You know, mm-hmm. can play just very slick and fast. And, you know, it's likes a lot of those 80s guys, like during that period when um, there was a, like a lot of just shredding talent going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. I can't play like that. You yeah. Know? I, 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 maybe one day if I like, you know, tr- went down and tried to do that, I could. But 
it gets down to like, you know, what, who are you and what do you like and what do you want and just kind of being who you are. You really have to be the kind of person that wants to sit there and learn those scales and speed up the metronome and do all that shit. (laughs) My my best friend in high school was, was one of those guys. And like the way that he did it was he had like a handheld, you know, tape recorder, like you would do an interview on and he would record like Klaus, I mean, like, uh, Matthias, jobs from the scorpions right. or he would record Ingve and yeah. then he would put it on the half speed on the tape yes. recorder and slow it down and he would learn it all by ear and and he's he could focus on that shit and yeah. like sit there and do that i'll never be that kind of guitar player yeah like, same here you know it's like once i kind of like started having um like my fate my childhood favorites demystified like um once i saw like ace reliever for example probably the sole biggest influence for me like in terms of guitar playing once I kind of was able to get a grasp on like what it took physically and mentally to play a solo like that, and like I mean I could see his fingers move and I could just picture the pattern in my mind how I do mm-hmm. it. That was just an intoxicating feeling, and yeah. I just kind of like focused on that because that's what I knew and loved. Yeah. You know, you know I didn't really listen to a lot of. Um, I liked all those guys in the '80s period that were like doing all the shredding, but you know I didn't like sit there and absorb it like I did right. in the '70s rock and when I was a young guy. So. It was kind yeah. of a an eleven kind of a thing for a while there. Yeah, I listened yeah. to all of it myself. I I had the first three Ingve records right, and, right. and and I liked all those different dudes and like Dokken and really listened to George Lynch and yeah, all yeah. that. But ultimately, when I, I was always way more fan of the rhythm of thrash kind of like, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Like Metallica kind of took me over from all of that stuff at right. some point. Not, and, and like Metallica it's kind of sucks Slayer, to say that yeah. now because they're so they're so lame now. But they are, they are, you know. And I'm I'm not trying to be a hater against them, but the truth is that their music is just not like what we grew up on and what we loved, you know. Right. It's um because that cover of Helpless that they do on the Garage amazing. Thing, it's better than Diamond Heads. Yeah. You know, I hate to say that because I love Diamond Head, but I mean they they owned that fucking song. All those things. I can listen there. to it's that like, song. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's I've had that tape for 30 almost 30 years now it came out right, in 1987 right. oh yeah or something i remember <laughs> that well yes i just listened to it the first other day. time people heard jason newstead with the band actually after Cliff yeah that's Burton. right yeah that's right yeah and it's and so i really liked that kind of guitar playing more like that it's um it's about riffs and uh rhythm and oh, yeah you know, yeah that, that's one thing chords. i always really liked about uh played rock music in general is that it's um it's about the riff. Like I really, I think that um, I remember actually in an interview speaking of Metallica, James Hetfield was talking about how Tony Iommi was one of his biggest influences because he just seemed like he was incapable of ever writing a bad riff. Yeah. And it, that's something that I really like a lot is like the importance of a riff in music. Mm-hmm. You know, and you and you have people that actually diss that sort of thing when it comes to like music and songwriting. Like, oh, that's just a riffy band, or that's just a band who just wants to write good riffs and. Are those in people my... that can play? I, I have to wonder. Well, it's people that, I mean, I've heard skilled musicians say that sort of thing, but at the same time, it's like, um, I don't know. It, it, I, I can't see that as anything other than pejorative because writing a riff is really fucking important. You know, it's like the, the basis of a song and it's the basis of like what makes something captivating and hooks you in. It's like a vocal melody. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, I um, I had the fortune or misfortune of stumbling into the, the world of serious hater like indie rock criticism when i was in new york and i didn't seek it in fact i really everyone i met that was associated with it when i moved up there really got on my nerves like i worked in this record store and i would be trying to play caius in there or something and there would be this smarmy little fuckwad that's like (laughs) no put that um 
put on the Boss Hog record. That's so much cooler. And right, and right. I like, I don't. This is like this has some kind of attitude of of smugness and pretentiousness to me. Yeah. I don't dig it. And um, and I really what, and I'm not saying this is where I remained. Right, I'm like right. just saying like at the age of 24 when I was exposed to that world, I was like, yeah. I don't want. This isn't my thing. I'd much rather listen to like Jesus Lizard and Neurosis and and all of these different kinds of things that are like maybe to these guys dumber or something. Yeah, but, yeah, and everything but, has got its like time in the sun. Like I can remember like Sleep, for example. You mm-hmm. know, um, Alsace Neros, Matt Pike, and um, Chris Hykus, a three-piece band from California. Like in the you know they started like in the late '80s, early '90s, and I can remember my good friend Neil and I listening to them in 1992. And being so blown away by it and loving it so much. And we thought we were the only people in the world who even knew of the existence yeah. of that band. And then they were kind of like, um, once I started meeting other people that were into the band, they were kind of like just stoner people like Neil right. and I. And then like um, a band that was kind of scoffed at as just being like a forgettable riffy band. Mm-hmm. But God, they just but ended really up. really Holy Mountain, you know, that there's really just the one, like Dragonaut. Good That's song. Head and good shoulders song. above everything else on there. Aquarian, I'm a huge fan of yeah. as well. Seeing them do that live in recent years is amazing. I mean, there's good, lots of good shit on there, but that riff is particularly absolutely. awesome. The whole... And that's a band who gained so much momentum during those like down years and when they kind of packed it in that yeah. it ended up having this like influence. They were like one of the biggest heavy bands in the world today. Yeah. They're like one of the bands that like are always on the, the tips of people's mouths whenever they talk about heavy music, you know, and like. They were just a band that didn't have that sort of notoriety at all. They're almost the always, time. you know, the okay. So I want to circle this back to yeah. why I was saying that thing about I'm working yeah. this record store with this kind of indie guy, and I just didn't want any part of that. And then mm-hmm. my friend Mark, who's uh, from Richmond, actually had a job at Matador Records because uh, his friend Steve was the drummer for um, Pavement. You know, Steve. Oh right, Lass, right, yeah. Know, that guy's uh-huh. from Richmond. Um, and he was just like, I fucking hate this job because you know once you're doing this kind of shit all you see this stuff as is product you know yeah, like cds yeah. going in boxes i'm like i'll take it right i need a job <laughs> so then i ended up there and like i had no none of the vocabulary for what these people valued there like it was all over my head i did like pavement but like yeah. aside from that all of that and i liked unsane that was you know oh yeah but yeah, aside from that nothing else they like i couldn't relate to this the the entire aesthetics the poetics the whatever of this shit yeah um, at first right and gradually like you know after people would come back and mock the things that i was listening to because i would be listening to the first danzig record back there right and somebody right. would come back and go you're not even listening to this ironically like you actually like this <laughs> and i'm like that's right yeah, that's supposed <laughs> to be an insult yeah yeah and it really actually at first i let that it was like you know it was the first time i was ever bullied by uh art you know right right and i and i really felt like that that like i'd be back there trying to do my thankless job of what well, it, yeah. it was a great job actually but i'd be back there trying to pack boxes and listen to shit and somebody would come back and mock what i was listening to kick sand in my face and i started getting really indignant about it but then i started having these arguments and this is to make your point about melody and riffs and everything yeah that i was like well what's wrong with this as opposed yeah. to what you like and he's like and they'd say there's really no song Right. If you listen to this, like, and that's not the case of Danzig, because there were songs yeah, in, yeah, on that record, but which is like, in a lot of cases, what you know, and I'm paraphrasing, because he, you know, he, what he said was something far more condescending and whatever. Right, right. But it was like, if you don't have a, a, a melody, if you don't have a song, if you don't really have something to put all this stuff together, you just got a lot of, you know, parts that 
you've put together just you know riffs and whatever and you don't have right. anything mm-hmm. i mean and like and it's not memorable he's like yeah. can you remember any song off of that helmet record you just listened to and it was like aftertaste or something right, like that and right. i'm like you know i i can't i mean i enjoy and that doesn't mean that that stuff's disqualified right from being any kind of music but it did take me to this other level of like yeah really it's none of the mechanics of this are difficult yeah like guided by voices is a great example. None of nothing they're doing is hard, and they're right. doing it on the worst equipment. But there's this incredible genius of oh, yeah. putting sounds together. Of that's words a guy who and can melody make, and yeah, he made some very transcendent music by not doing a whole lot at all. And that's what everybody loves about that band, you know. Well, because it's, it's like, an important thing to think of. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. And and so. so is like what you were just saying about you'll never be anybody like King Buzzo. I beg to differ. All right, so you're not. You're not. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you're not. Okay, so you didn't like, you know, challenge people with something. Right. Like the first time I heard Lysol, I was challenged. I was right. taken out of my comfort zone or whatever. Um, but you have every single person that plays music, and and you are at a higher level of this. But every person who tries to play music at all puts their mark on it, however, like, um, discreet uh-huh. or nuanced that mark is. You know, it's you doing it, and nobody else is you. That's kind you know? of you to say. You yeah, know? you know, it's up. Yeah, I mean, I guess if um, people hear, um, you know, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm writing in my music and songwriting these days, where people who know me and know what I do were like, "Oh yeah, that sounds like something Eric would do," you know, and that's cool and everything. But I guess when you have very easily identifiable um, um, inspirations and source material that you're working from, you know, that's where people tend to be like. Yeah, you know this is good, but you know you, they're not going to put you on the level of like groundbreaking, and, and I don't care. Yeah, I'm not, really, I'm not really seriously, to, yeah. fuck that because yeah. rock and roll was called rock and roll by people who initially wanted to differentiate it from rhythm and blues to sell right. it to a white audience. And do you know what rock and roll was before it was referring to music? It was a euphemism for fucking. Exactly, it was sex. You know? It was yeah. sex, right? <laughs> and rock music is like sex. Are you honestly going to say when you get in bed with somebody, you have an opportunity to have sex with them, you're going to say this has been done before? Because <laughs> fuck yes, <laughs> but not by me, right? I don't now, know. Some people moment, might do you know? that. <laughs> yeah, well, so I guess you know, and, and a lot of those yeah. people never get to have sex, and they're yeah. no one ever will fuck them, and you know they're going to hate on the entire thing, and there's all kinds of repression around that, but. It's such an irrelevant thing to me to talk yeah. about relevance. Exactly, you know? exactly. And, and Same it's... here. That's why I think it just that actually kind of makes things more boring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when you have these like I remember um I wasn't actually there and you know, I probably am the last person to talk about this, but there was like this big um uh internet ordeal about uh, South by Southwest a few years ago and I guess Bob Geldof was the key speaker and he gave some like you know, big speech. It was supposed to be like where are the Sex Pistols of today? Where are the Beatles today? Where's the you know Revolution music? And it's like shut the fuck up, right. Jesus Christ! They're you know, too I'm cool so, to be yeah. for, to be anywhere near you. Yeah, you, yeah, I get know, so sick of people just kind of like looking for that next um, breakthrough moment. You know, it's like because you know what happens when you're sitting there trying to like look for something big to happen. Life is what's happening. You yeah. know, and good th- things I mean, are happening. This is the thing I got the appreciation for, and I passed forty like four almost five years ago. Right. You know. <laughs> And I, I feel more refreshed, you know, and part of that is because of this other process that you and I have shared. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> I see things completely differently, you know, that there's, there's still a, – a, there's actually this ton of freedom in there to, to have my own, like, uh, curation of life. 
Yeah, you know yeah, that totally. I can pick what the fuck I like and exactly. I can dig it. And and initially, I think we're you know we come out and we get conditioned by our parents and then we reject that conditioning. Yeah. And there's this cycle of that and and music and pop culture has a lot to do with that. And the strongest conditioning force in that has been the marketplace that they're always trying to tell you this is the next thing and like this right, is that record right. appetite for destruction and like you know people picked them back in the day like yeah. we picked nevermind and you picked appetite for destruction and nobody's picking a record like that anymore because there's just too many other there's too much out there uh, yeah you know? exactly and it doesn't yeah. mean that there's less quality it means that you're not going to have you know a million or 2 million or 5 million people all looking at the same place at the same time that's very to hear true yeah fucking appetite for destruction but there's plenty of good shit just like it out there exactly. you're just not going to have that galvanizing moment and really who needs it because that all that does is put us all looking in the same spot that they can put billboards in right right you know and get sold to so fuck it reject that you know exactly and that was something that like my friends and I tried to do even back in pre-internet times you know like um you know it once I discovered that there was just no getting around the fact that like my love for music kind of laid in the past and um, you know in a lot of misbegotten hard rock and like heavy psychedelic music and proto metal if you want to use that subgenre term, um, I made a point to go to record stores and talk to those old guys that ran the places and be mm-hmm. like, okay, my favorite bands are Blue Cheer, The Stooges, right. The MC5. Let me know anyone who's like that that I may have missed. Next thing I know, I've got like a Sir Lord Baltimore record right, or a Captain, Captain Beyond. Beyond record. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah or, you know, Dragonfly was a, one of my favorite discoveries from back then. And, uh, you know, just. What was it? Witch something. Witchfinder General. Yeah. Witchfinder yeah. General. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that was. And like, Cactus. Yeah. Yeah. Once I started discovering bands like that, like in that tier, if you want to use that, that term, or, you know, just bands that never really were on people's radar. That was the most intoxicating feeling in the mm-hmm. world. I was just like, you know, I was a teenager at the time when I started discovering bands like that. And I just became that like loudmouth, rambling, drunk at parties here in Richmond. I'm like, right. hey, have you heard Leaf Hound before? Or like, Leaf hey, have you? Hound, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's like. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. so in this, this cycle circles back to something where you were saying about yeah. sleep, too. And, and right. Because I got into. When I started playing, it was awesome to be in the context of Matador because it made right. me rebel against that. And like what I was listening to then was Caius and Lee Found and Cas and, and Monster Magnet and all oh, yeah, of this yeah. stuff, which was very Monster unpopular. Monster Magnet was a big band for my friends and I, yeah. It, it was very unpopular in there, but it was Monster Magnet for me was again use this word which I like a lot, curating a whole bunch of shit because they do right, their yeah. song Twin Earth is Mesmeration Eclipse with exact yeah oh god and... they lifted it I can remember the first time I saw Fu Manchu which was in 1996 this was back when the Nebula guys were um yeah. still playing with them um I can remember going and talking to Scott and they were opening for Clutch here in Richmond and uh-huh. um you know nobody knew a Fu Manchu except for of course me and my mutant friends right. like, everybody was there for Clutch but I went up after they played and shook his hand and told him how much I loved what they did and he and I just got to talking about music you know he had never heard of some of the bands I was hip to and I definitely hadn't heard of a lot of the bands he was hip to and actually I got to credit Scott Hill from Fu Manchu for telling me about Sir Lord Baltimore for the first yeah. time because Monster Magnet had just put out that record Dopes to Infinity yeah and he said, you know that opening song on the record, that riff? Uh-huh. He was like, they stole that one too. He was like, check out a Sir Lord Baltimore song called Woman Tamer. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it is 
Oh my god, that Dave to Infinity the song. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it's like Dave, I love you, man, but oh my god, it's well, and I don't think he doesn't make any bones <laughs> yeah. about that. That's what he was out to do, and that's exactly, what everybody. Yeah. That's what those guys did too. They took that riff from somewhere. I mean, hell, even you know? Oasis. I mean, completely different musical spectrum here. They were shameless with like you know what they stole from people. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that. And look, them, you can't you know? call it stealing when it's Monster Magnet. They got those guys were doing that shit and making putting out cassette tapes. And like, yeah, they did end up getting a major label right, deal, right. but they weren't doing anything anybody else hadn't done. I mean, like, I mean, they started off just, you know, and this is the term I wanted to get a chance to throw out. Right. I, I was introduced to this when I was my first band and we're like doing a blue cheer cover and it was, we actually stole the riff. I remember you telling me about this. You guys did second time around. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we took yeah, the riff. Yeah. We wrote completely different lyrics to it and we right. arranged it differently, but we started with that riff. Yeah. yeah. And, um. And like, uh, and it was originally just a practice space jam, like that became a thing. Yeah. And and, uh, and one of the guys, the same guy, I always argued with at Matador about music. This guy Dave Martin, he was one of the uh, the sales guys there that you right. know, sold to the mom and pop record stores. Um, he'd say it's great American loser rock band, you know. <laughs> and that's what Sleep is, and yeah. like Caius is that. There's just so many of them, and they are incalculably important because they retain their purity by being loser rock exactly. bands yeah and they retain this mystique and this honesty and they, they never got to the point where they were making music for anybody but themselves really exactly you know yeah. and and so it's it's really important to have those bands it sucks to be them because you don't get to make money off yeah, of that shit yeah. gotcha. you know but goddamn, you know like yeah we, we, yeah we sometimes i don't know it's like uh they no one's ever really out to uh live and eat off of integrity but goddamn it feels good once you once you know you have it it's like yeah and there's no, or not even necessarily when you have it for yourself but like when you can see that the people you admire have it you know mm-hmm. that, i think that's when integrity is really important it's like when you what does I, integrity mean to look look it's integrated yeah. right yeah okay so what you know what that means to me right now i don't like the music that dave grohl makes in the foo fighters now but that finances him doing all the shit that he wants to do. Exactly. They gave him the money to buy that goddamn board out of uh, that studio in Southern California and put it in his house. You right. know, he knows what he's doing when he's writing songs for that band. He's like, this is like instead of going and washing dishes, he's got the Foo Fighters. Right. You know? Right. He, like, <laughs> he makes a ton of money off that. He's said many times, like when he made the Probot record, he was like, this is the shit I love. Foo Fighters is my job. I do that to make money so yeah. that I can do this. And it's like me being a fucking sales guy for Restaurant Depot so I can do my podcast. Exactly, yeah. Actually, Dave You Grohl, integrate those things. You balance them. You know? It's funny like, how much his name seems to come up these days in terms of like contemporary music and rock and roll. I actually don't really follow what he does all that much. I'm kind of indifferent to him. I never really liked the Foo Fighters, but I always kind of respected him. Everybody seems to... Uh, Get sick of hearing his name these days. I guess he's got some HBO show or something. Yeah, and and that has does have some truly embarrassing, because he's he's comparing yeah. himself or he's putting himself in the context to be compared to people like Steve Albini and you know and right, Naked Ray right. Gun and and uh, big you know all of this stuff that was say for instance going on in Chicago and then they show and he is writing a song real time on that show that yeah, sucks. Yeah, gotcha. You know, and then they go and play it and it's like the riff from. Uh, Holy Diver mixed with a bunch of other weird. I mean, I don't even yeah. know if he realized he was doing that, but I haven't seen. He sets show himself yet, up yeah. for with this new thing, but it's still kind of cool show. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I'm not a Dave Grohl hater, and I'm like I said, he's just I'm kind of indifferent to him. But you know, I always kind of like. Um, 
I think he's got the right attitude in a lot of times too. You know, he just seems—it seems like he's just genuinely a dude who loves music, and that's what I like about him. Yeah. When it's down to it. You Have know? you? Did you ever listen to that Probot record he made? I remember the song um, "Shake Your Blood," which of course I fucking loved. It had Wino and Lemmy in it. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Huge fan of was uh, in the video, but he really wasn't on the song. But Wino's uh, okay, song gotcha. on that record, "The Emerald Law," is the shit. Okay, like, I, I haven't heard that. I love it, and um, there's a bunch of really great songs on there. Yeah. And like I don't, you know, and people were hating it then. They're like, "Oh, he's just being fashionable, like going back Getting to his it, yeah, right." <laughs> He's trying to get like the the heavy music gods and credibility or whatever. I remember hearing those. But sorts it was of really well. that he was fa- sitting in his studio, fantasizing about being able to do a song with those guys. He wrote songs for them, and right. then he sent them the tapes, and he said, "Write a song for this." And that's what Lemmy did. Lemmy wrote "Shake Your Blood" over top of some riffs that he came up with, and yeah. he just mailed these tapes to people and said, "Add your." Exactly. And what the fuck is wrong with that? That's nothing, crazy. nothing. Anybody who's in a band uh, these days, who you know, in a heavy band or whatever, who admires those m- musicians like Lemmy and Wino would not turn down that situation right. at all. You know, if, you might be intimidated by it. You know, Dave has probably got enough um, skill and experience under his level to not be. Like, you know, um, Deem and I played some shows with Spirit Caravan this year. And, you know, Wino is somebody I've always just really admired and loved and been mm-hmm. inspired by. I was nervous to talk to the guy. Yeah. You know, and I had no, there was no reason for me to feel that way because he was a very kind guy and very cool. He came up mm-hmm. and shook my hand and said he really liked our music, and I just said thanks and then bolted because I was <laughs> too nervous to talk to him. But um, you know, a guy like Dave Grohl is probably in that situation where you know he's got a little bit more. Um, you know, he's in that realm. More well, he was with going to see the obsessed. Oh yeah, yeah. He's they you were know, opening up for like fucking bad brains for some reason. Exactly. In back in the day yeah and you know there's even though like i've kind of gotten to a point to like you know where i just you know you sort of outgrow idolatry to a certain extent when you get a little bit older and you're playing music but you know there's always going to be that part of me that is going to get a you know wino was a guy that i used to listen to back and i can remember like being a little skate rat listening to saint vitus Mm -hmm. and you know then like you fast forward 20 years and your band is playing with the guy you know that's cool that's That's cool you know that's like (laughs) I, he was actually my first uh, rock and roll interview, and I was probably the least qualified guy to talk to him because I really didn't listen to St. Vitus and the Obsessed and stuff. Right. But I understood the context of him, and he really loved the interview because um, I just happened to kind of say the things that he wanted to be have said yeah, about him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and ask him the right questions. And, he, and, um, and it was very, you know, I think he was a little... Because <laughs> we really hit it off on the yeah. telephone. Right. And then I went to meet him, and I was, like, not a dude, like... You know, exactly. Yeah, at the yeah. show, <laughs> I mean, it was very cool to me though. Like, um, but I'd like totally looked like some kid. Just you know, I had like bleach blonde hair. And, right. <laughs> you know, I didn't. I didn't look the type. But he's a big conspiracy theory guy. Apparently, yeah. I think that makes him a lot of hand, fun. Yeah, know? that makes him a lot of fun for interviewers. I know. <laughs> well, so like those, I, I was kind of losing a, um, <clears throat> like, um, damn, Dave. You we were talking about Dave Grohl and. All of that kind of stuff and and the obsessed and damn oh fuck it <laughs> that yep. rarely happens to me I like, totally lost my train yeah. of there's so many things but like I I mean the idea of integrity the idea of purity all of this kind of stuff it's just like more and more it's like it seems so arbitrary and like yeah. who said that that was I mean really what what I think it got established was because so much. Like, if you live in New York City, you watch people come up with really unique style, right? And then you watch 
the people who are in the marketplace and fashion steal their shit right. and, and sell it, and then they sell it as fashion. And fashion is this thing like join or die kind of. It's like fascism. It's like right. wear this or you're not you're not who you think you are. You're not important. You know all of that. And I think that's really what a lot of what people reject when they've found their individuality and or they're just yeah. starting to find that thing that's style where they're picking and choosing and I, I like this from over here and that from over there. And then they watch that become a yeah. brand and, and it like feels like it's like they've had this shit stolen from them. But now we don't really – you can totally yeah, ignore it, that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, like in the rock world, in rock music and, and in the metal world too, and especially in the metal world, you always have a lot of folks that are like out to just search for what's authentic and they are quick to point out what they think is inauthentic mm-hmm. and are quick to insult what they think is inauthentic, even if it is, you know. Like, um, for example, the Drag Strip Syndicate, the band that, you know, I was um, spent most of my time playing. Who I really loved. I thought you guys really, you know. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, we that was a good time. You know, that was a, like any other young guys in a band. There were highs and lows. But um, we seem to have this effect on people where everybody, anybody would really love it and think it was like genuine and honest and pure and all that stuff. Or you had people who would be like, Fuck this band. <laughs> These guys yeah. are so full of shit and fake. And at the time, that infuriated me. You know, I was like yeah. 25, and you know, of course, you know, you're full of like piss and fury, and like you know, you you get really angry when somebody mm-hmm. perceives you that way. You know, these days, you, you know, it's whatever. Shut up with all your right. talk and what's authentic and what's honest. Right, because you're having like, shit laid on you that like you're yeah. not the context. That's somebody else's context that they're yeah. putting on you. Mm-hmm. You're just doing your thing. And, and like I came to looking at you guys having just moved back from New York and having right. all this context in my head right, and all right. that, plus the context of Richmond, which I was no longer – like the old Richmond scene was so art damaged and and like very like – it has to be this avant kind of thing. Right, Playing right. straight rock is for my uncle's old army buddies out in the West End <laughs> at, at the Shamrocks or – and so there was this really stark division between regular old rock and roll, right, riff rock. Right. Like you, nobody was doing that in yeah, I can in remember the, around VCU for like 20 years or something. Drag Strip and, actually, you know, they played as a band for a few years before I joined them. And um, I remember that was a pretty interesting period in Richmond. So like where you started to like see some good rock bands and garage bands again. But um, I remember when I first saw them, you know, um, they were a three piece. It was John and Kevin and Matt. And they didn't have a bass guitarist at the point. And I remember thinking they were like this mix of like rockabilly and almost like the discord sound because mm-hmm. they were like these really kind of quirky, you know, intense mm-hmm. stop and start dynamics like you'd hear in a lot of like good um, Fugazi and mm-hmm. Jawbox back at the time. And I liked that. I thought that was really cool. And then as I became, you know, closer friends with like John Brown and those guys and like we hit it off like um, with our MC5 fandom. Mm-hmm. I was blown away when they said they wanted me to join them because that was sort of the direction they were going into. I was just like people actually want to play music like this. You know, I would, I'd kind of, like, I've never heard a band where there were three guitar players that didn't sound like a mess. Yeah. Like, and you yeah. guys really like made that, uh, you know, work. We tried like, to make it work. You know, there were definitely some periods where we got a little too loud, you know, like we, he, we were really into like vintage equipment and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You know, there were definitely some periods where it was, you know, I know it's like uncool to say if you were too loud, but we definitely were. You know, I didn't, I never, I never saw that. Cause I always like really liked what you, that sound that you guys were doing. And it, and this is again the thing that it, like I had a different context for seeing you guys, so I didn't judge you. Um, I, I knew what you were doing, right? You know? Right. And, but yet, 
you weren't doing it self-consciously like um, I would have been doing it at that right. point where I'm like, you're trying to invoke, like, you guys were just naturally doing that. Like, I was yeah. 10 years older than, well, no, well, I guess I'm the thing is, around that time when those guys had asked me to join the band, you know, Matt and I were old friends who had played music together for quite some time. Um, I had pretty much resigned myself to a Matt's life. Matt's the drummer? Yeah, Matt yeah. was, Matt Forrest is the drummer. Yeah. I pretty much had resigned myself to a life of, like, just being that weird guy who collects records and you know doesn't play music anymore mm -hmm. you know just gonna be like that at the age uh, of 25 yeah at the age of i guess i was 23 <laughs> or 24 at the time yeah, yeah. I, I pretty much yeah I, I figured that was my future right and i was comfortable with that i was like yeah. i'm just gonna be like that loner it's over geek kind of guy so when i was asked to join a band like that and to write music like that and perform like that it lit my fucking world on fire yeah. every time i played with those guys it was just like ecstasy mm -hmm. you know and that's you know, people always kind of talk about like the performances and like, you know, the energy that was put into it. But that was because you were seeing a guy who was given a chance at life that he never thought he was going to have. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be this like, uh, you know, the weirdo at the end of the bar who's like babbling to anybody about UFO who cares to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to be the guy, you know, I was given a chance to actually write music and perform. And it was it was, all, you know, warts and all, you know, like it wasn't always a pretty picture playing in a band like that. And with everything that we, you know, experienced and went through. But, uh, yeah, that was a gift. It makes a real mark. Um, it makes a mark on my experience because it was, like, my favorite live band to go see for, like, yeah, two it, years it was, or it was something. Fun. I think I saw fun. you every time you played in Richmond. Yeah, it was that. it was a fun period during that period, that time, for sure. Late 90s, early <laughs> 2000s, whatever that was. <laughs> it's funny because right. the people that – the same people that really liked – punk when punk came around and and um which was really about saying let's get away from the self-indulgent big right, stadium right. 70s stuff and get back to garage playing yeah like that was what that cycle was again in like the late the mid to late 90s was let's get away from all of the self-indulgent like heavy kind of pearl jam and like they became right. the foreigner <laughs> and the fucking you know boston of the 90s and then people wanted to hear simple stripped down right. rock and roll again and like that's where you guys came out of. Lots of other bands like Cherry yeah. Valance and tons and tons RPG of RPG yeah. was a band I loved mm -hmm. back then. I can remember like going to see RPG when they were the Pushers, and I yeah. oh my god, man, that band just uh, floored me when Eddie Pierce was singing for them, yeah. you know, and and I, when he stopped singing for them, and they um, were talking about revamping their sound, I was really curious to see what they do, and they just uh, just unstoppable rock band. It took me a while to appreciate uh, they they took a little while to find their thing with RPG but when they did it was like another band I never missed mm -hmm. you know the first show I feel like I saw them at it hole in the wall I didn't dig so much right but, but they, I went to go see them because Tony Brown was an old high school friend of mine and was um, he in the Jolly Mortals he also? was um he was yeah he was actually shit I forgot he joined them at one point yeah. Tony had um some mutual friends uh, had told me that Tony was playing bass for the M80s, who I'd remembered from high school, mm -hmm. like the, the Norfolk Garage Band that Eddie Pierce sang for. And I was like, oh, shit, I'll, I would love to go see that. And so we drove up to Richmond from Williamsburg and saw the Pushers, they were called now, not the mm -hmm. M80s. And I was just so blown away. You know, they had some cynics kind of go going on in their music and then some uh, pretty things. And that was when I first met Matt Connor, who, of course, is still a pretty prominent musician here in this yeah. town. And um Matt, I remember uh, having some talks with him about music, and he said that um, he was starting to kind of put like a Stooges Blue Cheer thing into their sound. And I was like, 
fucking hell. <laughs> when, mm-hmm. when when is the first opportunity I get to see this? And, it's it's yeah. awesome that that was going because you you mentioned uh, like Fu Manchu earlier, and when I was yeah. my band was doing their thing in in New York. We were friends with Tony Presedio, you know, TP Oh, Records, yeah, yeah. And he That's had right, yeah. just only put out the Nebula record and right. maybe the Atomic Bitchwax, uh, like a couple of things at this point. Right. And like, and, and he and Eric and me, like our band Redshift Ruler was really going for that, like, kind of 70s psych kind of thing, you yeah. know, but totally like idiot savant style, like didn't really make a study of it. We're just like, I kind of, we just want to attempt something that... Sounds like that, right, and, and right. we were, and Eric and he were really good friends. So like we did this thing um, at Coney Island High to celebrate that kind of right. music, and, and I, I I was actually going to do it as a regular monthly thing called Head Shop, <laughs> and like I had him DJ, and he had Nebula and Atomic Bitchwax and my band and like one other band play, and there was a really like. The people in around that group at that time were going for the same thing yeah. of like let's get back at this like kind of stripped down thing. And so the first band that I liked when I came back to Richmond was the Pushers, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I went to I went to fucking see them at Humphrey Calder Playground playing oh, wow. <laughs> on a goddamn flatbed trailer for some reason. It was really bizarre. Yeah, uh, yeah. Probably like mid to late '90s, something like that. That time frame. I want to say it was 96. It was 90, it was 98 it. was when I moved back here. Okay. And, and that's what I was seeking out was the cuz I like that you people were doing the stripped down garage thing that I think it spawned punk but they were adding in the psychedelic yeah, aspect yeah, of which it. Which is was my deal at the time for sure, you The know? songs could spread out a little bit. There could be some weird pedals involved, yeah, you yeah. know. It could get heavy too, yeah. you know, you kind of that was one thing about when I was into like a lot of garage music, you know, I liked that stuff, but I kind of missed that, uh, you know, garage is kind of thin and trebly and just kind of like that more like punk rock, you yeah. know, once you kind of put some heavy psych with that, that's when it got heavy again yeah. and everything you loved about Sabbath and, um, deep purple was able to kind of like get in there. I just know? saw the archaics. There's a Richmond band. Do you know them? I don't. <laughs> they, um, I was standing pretty close to the stage, so they do that kind of garage thing, and they have just little 212 box speakers, right. and they're playing through very old. I don't even know if they're. They look like it's really crap equipment they're playing on purpose. Like right. I have a <laughs> like a Tesco guitar in there, and that they're all, they're playing those. Yeah. Everybody has matching like I mean, there's two guitar players playing like that guitar and a bass player, and it's all that same model. But, gotcha, yeah. but it didn't sound thin. Like, it sound very, like, full. Yeah. And I think that that's the recording of a lot of that shit, is it was just recorded thin. You know, you know there's a guy I know in, uh, in Raleigh who says he doesn't get into that side of thing. And he says that, like, ever since the 80s, like, every every five years or so, there'll be this cycle where Garage is cool again. And, like, you know, some other band will come up and have a revamped version of it. In a way, that's kind of true, but at the same time, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I always kind of. I don't think it ever to... stops being cool. It's just yeah. some people are in it for the fashion movement. Yeah, you it's... know, like in the, you had the Paisley Underground in the '80s, and then you had like uh, Estrus Records, you had mm-hmm. Get Hip Records, Sundays. And then, yeah, they had Sundays, and then like you know, into um, the 2000s, you started getting sort of like a, more of an MC5 kind of thing with it, and. These days, you know, you have guys like Ty Gall and that whole right. crowd who are kind of making it more like Mark Bolin-ish. And well, there's so much – I mean there's – you and I are old enough to know now that there's been pebbles and there have been nuggets and there have yeah, been bloodstains yeah. and there have been – there has been all of this – these different things. There have been psych garage comps. They've been these things. So there's now a well-established like scene – and I don't want to call it a scene. It's like 
um, an aesthetic. Like, right. and there's no, it no longer matters if it's fashionable or unfashionable. It's a thing. Yeah. And you can go in there and be a part of that thing and you can enter into that world. Cause when that was a thing that New York seemed like to me when I lived there was that all the stuff that they were trying to sell pop culture wise was changing all the time. Right. right. But anywhere you went in the East village or you could find a thing that had stayed like the people had changed, but the scene had stayed like from like seventies rock to seventies punk to like, you know, all of these different movements that had gone through there. People just kept doing them like regardless whether or not they had the spotlight on them or not. And I think that that's more and more what we got going on all over the world and all over the country is it no longer matters to say it's relevant or irrelevant or it's in or it's out or whatever. Right, right. If you like that shit, you can go find some freaks to hang out with that like that shit. You can go see bands that are doing that, that are dressed that way. You can just totally enter a theme park of like <laughs> 70s rock and roll or 80s punk or yeah. you know metal, Definitely. whatever you like. You yeah, know? everything kind of just becomes its own standalone sound and you know mm-hmm. just becomes identifiable. You know, in the metal world, um, it's it's been it. You know, there's probably even people out there that wouldn't even consider Demon Eye metal, and I don't care. I'm not. You know, I don't care about genre stuff, but it's really kind of interesting. Like when I see what's going on in metal these days, and it's it gets so um, subgenre out. Not necessarily a bad thing, because that kind of helps people find what they want and what their right. thing is, you know. But um, it's kind of, you know, you got people that are into doom metal, but then like doom itself kind of goes to whether it's sludgy doom or traditional doom, or you know, <laughs> and then like those other these terms that come out like funeral doom and right. things like that, and um, electric funeral, hand of doom. Those yeah. are the, this is where this came from. Exactly, you know, two exactly. songs. But Black Sabbath kind of invented this approach to... When it comes to Doom, which has kind of like been... Um, there's no getting around it. Doom is kind of like the a sort of in thing with metal these days. And um, But these bands don't really... A lot of bands that are like really popular right now that are you know really celebrated, like Yob, for example, mm-hmm. from uh, Portland. Amazing band. And I got to meet Mike and play a show with him um, about a year and a half ago. Just a sweet, sweet human being. They don't sound like Black Sabbath. Right. It's obvious Black Sabbath is like a um, influence as they are for countless bands, but you know they don't sound like that traditional kind of like riffy '70s band. At the same time, you got like a band from Sweden like um, Witchcraft or Graveyard, mm-hmm. and Witchcraft in particular was a really striking. You would consider band. Graveyard Doom? I I kind of consider them just sort of like a dark classic rock band, but yeah. again, I don't really care about the genre. What I liked about Witchcraft, for example, was. Um, those guys were not loud and detuned and like playing with a lot of thick, heavy guitar tones, but they sounded fucking evil. Yeah. And it was because of their songwriting. Like, yeah. you know, they, and I think that was from Pentagram, you know, they kind of did that as well. He had a song like, um, Before Warned by Pentagram that, uh, had kind of like, you know, just textured picking guitar parts and didn't really get too loud and heavy, but that's like one of the most evil songs mm-hmm. I've ever heard, you know? The melody, the chords, the transitions, the lyrics, Bobby's Bobby Liebring's fantastic singing, of course. That's that's the kind of thing that's been a big influence on my songwriting. Yeah, and, and that's I. what it's I like, mean. When I before I heard Graveyard, I was standing at a show at First Avenue, and they were at a slideshow of upcoming bands uh-huh. a bit on a big like movie projector screen, and right. they kept showing this picture of Graveyard standing there, and it was a black and white like kind of. 
um, iridescent looking black and white picture of them in denim jackets with their long hair blowing to the left. And I was just like, that looks like some guys I would like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Then I I went and listened to them and I really liked that. What is it? High singing blues? Is that what that's called? Yeah, I won't even try to butcher that word, but yes, their their second album. (laughs) So like, this is the thing that I, I keep coming back to it. This is like, you know, when Chuck, when somebody asked Chuck Berry what he thought of punk rock, he said, what punk rock? It's just rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we have to put all these hyphens on anything? And that's what yeah. I said about you guys when you, I was like, they dropped the hyphen, you know, right, right. <laughs> and you just play rock. And um, the same goes for Doom for me because like, I Hate God were playing like, you know, their, their blues riffs that they learned from listening to Black Sabbath, yeah. not, not, the blues exactly right Mm -hmm. and then they were slowing them the fuck down until they got to something that was almost like when lysol yeah you know and they're doing so it's experimental it's unraveling the um kit that you you know you you were handed this thing um and you took it as a part as a piece you know as a whole i'm sorry you took it as a whole like black sabbath the whole sound the whole aesthetic whatever and then you get fucked up and you start like get stoned and listen to that and you just get really focused on one thing and I think that's what they did they just yeah. like and and like a lot of what that music is to me is very like when it's done by certain people it's extremely avant-garde like like challenge what you consider to be have form or not yeah yeah definitely you know it becomes meditative it becomes like I called it transcendental metal meditation when <laughs> when Sleep did it on Jerusalem yeah. and Dope Smoker. That Absolutely. it's like they're saying Ohm. You yeah, know, and no, of definitely. course they. Be- yeah, you know, Dope Smoker is and- a very relaxing record to me, even though it's mm-hmm. like loud and in- insane and you know just has such a thick attack to it. That's still just like a, a very relaxing record to me. It's, you cir- know? it's like Tibetan monk chanting. Exactly, like, exactly. You know, and so it's really... It's like I could almost get the same effect from listening to that, but I could Brian Eno. You right. Know, just like something that just um, calms your mind and kind of like carries you through it. It's like a little kind of just journey. You know, it's like meditation. Do, yeah. Yeah, I've always yeah. wanted to do an electric version of Here Come the Warm Jets. Oh, right. With guitars <laughs> like I Hate God or Yeah, Sleep, you yeah, know? definitely. Like, but that's which like, that's the kind of thing that I think is happening with a lot of heavy music these days. Like even black metal, you know, just something like I, so many diehards out there into that sound. Some of that stuff I'm hearing these days sounds like early '90s shoegazer music, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a bad way because I, I liked like a lot of those. Like, My bloody Valentine. Yeah, or you know, Swerve Driver, or um, you Whoa. know, just like yeah, the bands that like kind of used a lot of delay and echo, and it, to, to the point where it became their sound. It became right. like how they wrote music. There's a band. Um, the first one that comes to mind is another Portland band called Agalock, who uh, is a band who really puts a lot of atmosphere into their music. And there's a lot, I mean, there's countless bands doing that these days, like, you know, Inter Arma from here in mm-hmm. Richmond. You know, they've got like a good kind of like psychedelic, they're like psychedelic black metal to me, yeah. you know? They're yeah, playing, I mean, you know, they're playing here pretty soon with High on Fire and Windhand. And yeah. I know that's going to be like at a, the Broadberry. Yeah, that's a show that's going to be uh, very, very well attended and very celebrated and remembered. You know, and it's um, I think it's fantastic that there's just so many heavy it's bands the, these you days. Know, somebody are, said this to me when we were we were doing we were after the same thing in my band. Like we right. take the riffs that we you know like say a blue cheer riff, right? Something like that, and then take it apart and then do something no wave with it. Yeah, and yeah. um. A guy who saw us at that time said, "That's what the brown acid music sounds right. like." You know, 
and 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 it's like it's say instead of going the jangly direction you're going into the uh weird discordant uncomfortable off side yeah of psychedelic because I, I listened to inner arma and Windhand back to back the other night while i was like trying to hang yeah. out with a, a girl on my couch and i was like you know this is not really conducive to this <laughs> i mean it's good shit you know yeah. but it's definitely like bringing you down you know yeah like <laughs> well that's you know that's another thing that um really i think strikes a lot of chord with people about music like that is like the downer rock aspect yeah. of it you know it's uh you know uh, a lot of times people that are into rock and roll or um heavy music it, they're outsiders to a certain extent yeah. and even though a lot of folks may be too proud to admit it there's a little bit of pain that comes in being an sure. outsider you know so like that feeling of dejection if that's like put to a music it put to music in a way that like you know you can it reaches out to you that's what the blues is yeah yeah definitely you know that's what people loved about bands like pentagram you know and um that's what i love about a band like windham you know there's Mm -hmm. just something kind of morose about their music yeah it's obvious they're very influenced by electric wizard but Mm -hmm. um i would go as far as to say that i would prefer to put on a windham record than an electric wizard record these days because it's just they got something they just added to it that they made their own and it's just very powerful. Yeah, Electric Wizard definitely like a. I mean, that's a very like dope throne, you know. Like that's a very specific kind of thing. Fantastic like, let's album. Let's put all by the, the stuff yeah. together that we like, you know. <laughs> Marijuana, like '70s metal, like yeah, Sabbath kind of stuff. And, Satanism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, it's it's a no-brainer that everybody's gonna love that. Who's you know in the metal world, you know, it's got everything people love. You know, the the drugs, the uh, the imagery. See, what's, what's interesting to me about that stuff, and which is the line that I like to try to walk, is that there's the dumbass, loser, outsider, stoner from the bleachers behind the school guy right. who is a genius. And, yeah. yeah. But he started – he didn't get to go to music class or any of that kind of stuff. But he gets in a room with his buddies, and they start fucking around with Sabbath and then they come up with this other deconstructed exactly. awesome thing. And they're not conscious that that's what they're doing. Yeah, they're just yeah. doing their thing. I once read an interview with Just Osborne from Electric Wizard, who uh, <laughs> really interesting fellow. I don't really, and I know a lot of people know him personally, but um, it's a lot of Osborns in this world. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I said his name incorrectly. Just Oburn, um, no S in his name, but he, um, you know, he's kind of. Uh, there's no getting around it. Dude's kind of a drama queen, and he doesn't really seem in, entirely sane at times. But he once said something in an interview that. Um, I thought it was really power, powerful. He said, we're electric wizard. We're freaks, losers, and outsiders just like you. Yeah. You know, what a way to, like, reach out to your fans, you know? Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. a way to, like, just have legions of, like, people out there just get behind you and be like, fuck yes. And then, so I really love the, the stuff that's done like that that's – it's kind of innocent how it came about. Right. And then there's the very conscious, like – person who such as me who would use the word no wave and know that there's this tradition of intellectual deconstructive music that you're referencing and then you're going to play that stuff yeah you know definitely and there are people that are coming from that that are in they're crossing into this world that like they're very very they're being very like um like what's the word I'm like archaeological scientific like yeah uh, yeah you know there there there's um an academic element yeah. oh yeah I know to, what you're saying you yeah. know what I mean like it's like either organic or it's well planned and well thought out and executed I yeah. mean they're coming at it from a different place like yeah. it still creates similar music like it seems to me and I don't really listen to Sun Oh 
Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever. But that, that he's coming from a little bit more of the very conscious experimental. Like, I'm yeah. a scientist experimenting with tubes and But there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of good it, no. There's a lot of good music that would not exist if that approach was never right, so taken. So that's really yeah. awesome. But that's, yeah. the, that's really the differentiator to me where people are trying to say it's this hyphen and that hyphen. Right. It's like the thing that you can you can intuit is being played by people from this very, like – they just it just happened to them when they yeah, were playing yeah, and then the people who were very conscious of it and it's not to put a value system on either of those things but sometimes i want to be like in that and that's what the sex pistols they really walked the line there right. you know when they talk like even it's a completely different kind of music they were those idiots that were just discovering some shit but they were also yeah. handled 100% by a very arch like manipulative guy oh, yeah, like yeah. Malcolm McLaren who was a fashion boutique you know, owner. Who, right. Like, so when you, when, when Bob Geldof asked that question and I, just to go on a riff here, oh, yeah. <laughs> the answer is all around you. Taylor Swift <laughs> is that, you know, because the sex pistols have the illusion of being this pure thing, but yeah. they weren't, they were completely constructed. At the same time, a guy like guys. me would listen to the sex pistols. And, you know, even when I was a kid, and even now, I didn't give a fuck about any of that stuff. To yeah. me, the sex pistols were just like a great rock and roll band. Yeah. I love their songs. I would, I could put on a Sex Pistols tape driving around in high school and rock out to um, Suburban Kid or um, No Feeling just mm-hmm. as much as I could like listening to uh, a, right. Led Zeppelin. It's rock know? and roll. It's yeah, and it's funny because right. like you know Led Zeppelin was the enemy to the Sex Pistols, but I loved them interchangeably at the mm-hmm. time. You know, yeah. like all those years later. And I think that's yeah. where. So when when I'm when I'm trying to find that thing I'm looking for, I, I can't use a genre anymore. I have to like say where is it happening that it seems like. I want to feel the stuff that seems like somebody stumbled on it because right. they were in their lab, like playing with potions and and some alchemy happened and something exploded and yeah. you know <laughs> they wound up with this thing. Um, I'm less inclined to want to listen to this stuff made by the um, academic, the right. the guy who right. has studied all of this and is trying to duplicate this experiment that somebody else you yeah, know yeah. did but there's not that there's anything wrong with that i'm not i'm not making a value judgment right, on that right. but the thing that really makes me like really gets me off is walking into that place where you know that basement where some dudes are playing and they don't even know what they got in there and it's like yeah yeah definitely you're like holy shit what the hell is this and yeah and that's you know. always going to be like probably the best rock and roll or you know heavy music you've heard too it's like those guys that just like um you know, their buddies getting together, doing what they know and what they love. And it's funny. Like, I, I remember seeing um, – God, I can't even, like, think of any good examples right now. But I remember, like, a lot of my days of touring with Drag Strip. You know, when you're out there on the road, you, you meet so many other bands and play with so many guys. And my favorite bands ended up being the guys that, like, got so drunk they could barely play and ended up having fights with one another on stage, yeah. like, about – what song they were going to play or the dudes would like throw their instruments down in disgust and like walk off the stage, mm-hmm. half, you know, in the middle of a performance because mm-hmm. there was just something really organic about it, mm-hmm. you know. It's not but, disciplined. It's completely like the ecstatic, like uh, Dionysian, like fucking freak out aspect right, of it. Right. Like you're barely containing it, you know. Yeah. You're you know, barely... it's funny. I, I, I kind of I feel like a hypocrite with what I just said because a lot of times I – at the same time, I don't like to go see a band who um, – you know, and I'm all for what, like, guys, like, going out there and having fun and, like, you know, getting wasted and playing. At the same time, I get kind of tired of going to see the band where that's priority, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. you know, anybody can go see, like, a bunch of guys dicking around. I don't know what they're doing and getting that drunk, you know. That shit's good. Yeah. People having their shit together is good. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. It's all good, but, like... It, 
what I guess the point I'm trying to was trying to get at is that I can't find that by looking at rock criticism or subgenreification. Right. You know, I find it by like following my nose. Like Definitely. I no longer trust those. Uh, yeah. I, same and, here. Same yeah. here. You know, it's like I I don't I cannot look at music and genres anymore. I cannot sit there and like look at like who's gonna be what aspect of the metal spectrum or what aspect of the rock spectrum. You know, and I even listen to some country music and like I can't sit there and go like. Were these guys more um, Graham Parsons or more Johnny Cash? You know, it's just like it's just got it's just how it hits you in what you like. Yeah, and, you know? right. And it's unfortunately it's the fucking rock critics that have like yeah. made that. <laughs> you know, and, and I was you know I was interested in playing that role at, at one point, but I'm not anymore. It's right. like and there's nothing again. There's nothing wrong with that because I loved reading Please Kill Me or yeah yeah. You know, we got the Absolutely. Neutron Bomb and I even liked uh, Our Band Could Be Your Life that. That book. Did you uh, read uh, Detroit Rock City? I didn't. Excellent read. Yeah, you know, the Please Kill Me of the Detroit scene. And well, there was also the Clinton Halen, I think, was his name, the pre-punk history for a post-punk world, which oh, I wow. really check that out. That was given to me when I was at at that record label because it was very apparent to the to the one of the owners of the label that I didn't know what I was talking about. Gotcha. So he was gotcha. like, for Christmas. He gave me that book. Like, <laughs> you need to read this. Yeah, we yeah. need to wrap it up. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. shit. Well, we like. Yeah, man. We covered some ground here, huh? We did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I and Valiant you. Thor. Yeah. I, that's a band I went to see at oh, yeah. Triple Rock in Minneapolis. It just, you know. It's they never disappoint. Tonight's gonna be a jam-packed bill of awesomeness. So hopefully we can time. get in. Yeah, that that was cool, right? Nice conversation. Um, that man, I really don't have anything else to say right now. I usually, when I go into or post one of these podcasts, I got I've got this little thing I've been working on my head, some little thing I've been chewing on that I want to say. And since I don't really feel like I don't have any other forum, I'm not really going to do any writing, any essays or getting anything in print i just get it off my chest here so i didn't really have anything though you know i continue to want to reinforce the idea that in my humble opinion the idea constantly reinforcing the idea of that that there's some fundamental difference between all the different types of people because of how they look and because of how they dress or like how they wear their hair. Whether you're judging somebody from that or you're trying to protect that as some kind of a cultural birthright, I just find that empty. I mean, we're all humans. Like, and we, we started off in Africa so many hundreds of thousands of years ago, one little group of Homo sapiens. And then we have uh, branched out from there. Some people stayed in Africa. You know, the most cultural diversity, I mean, not cultural, genetic diversity is in Southern Africa. Which means that, you know, majority of those people just have stayed there and, and evolved. Most of those people haven't been anywhere else. But people that left there, Europeans, Asians, so on, uh, have are much, are much more similar to each other. But ultimately, under all of this stuff, it's the same organism with some slightly different appearances. And then for, you know, separation and whatever, we've developed this really awesome varied type of human culture that we all have access to 
I don't. I really don't understand why anybody would say a person shouldn't wear a thing or listen to a music or have a hairstyle because it belongs to some other group of people. We're all people. So it just seems really silly and petty to me. You know, um, it's so much more fun to me to just say, man, we're we're all connected. We're all the same type of organism, and I got a lot more in common with you than I don't. So, oh, I found something to preach about. I'm done.